You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, listeners, Kevin and I need your help. Yes, we need your help. Please, please, please. We need your stars. We need your reviews, you guys, on iTunes so we can start to climb those iTunes rating charts. It's simple. Open iTunes, click on the iTunes store, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. If you need some help, think of one star being Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the road company of the last five years, and five stars being free front row tickets to Hamilton. <laughs> Although, when you think about it, I actually would give five stars to the road company of Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the last five years, because I think that would be uh, awesome. I would love to hear, can I hear moving too fast as Paul? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the really, that's the one I really want. She's a shakes the goddess. <laughs> through Erica Schwartz and Danica Weiss. And the Handelman twins. <laughs> so there you go. You can also leave a comment if you like. That's it. That's your reviews. It. Send us Thank your you. reviews, Please. friends. Thank you. And now, part two of our interview with Martin Charnin. Fryer and Carr were the producers of Hotspot. I had met them. Mary, Mary, we both knew them quite well. The two guys who wrote the book were Jack Weinstock and Willie Gilbert, the guys who had just just written uh, How to Succeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who were both very bitter. And they were bitter because A. Burroughs got a Pulitzer Prize and they, they didn't. didn't. Yeah. And they had collaborated with Abe on the on the material. Wow. And I understood that bitterness. Anyway, we, we met them and, you know, every every session that we had, 20 minutes at the beginning of every collaborative session was that son of a bitch and blah 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 and you'd go on and on and on and those mothers at the at the Pulitzer committee or whatever so you'd go through that and then you'd get to work but I understood it because it's a pretty major thing to have had happen anyway the 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 thing is they were the book writers the idea that we had come up with was funnily enough my idea I found and again, rooted in a real truth, a, warm, a girl, the Peace Corps was a big deal at the time. Um, a girl had written a postcard, a girl in the Peace Corps had written a postcard from whatever um, country she had been assigned to back to her parents saying, this is the worst country I have ever been in. I can't believe the the disease, I can't get a clean drink of water. I, I mean, it was a really 
awful card written back to her parents telling her about how awful it, and the and and the people who are working. I mean, she was really dumping on absolutely everything. And I it was it made the paper. It was in the New York Times. And I read it and I went to Mary and I said, you know, this would make a really great musical if somebody found the card like the Times did. Yeah. And we told her story. And we invented this whole musical about a fictional country that this Peace Corps girl goes to and ultimately falls in love with the American ambassador or envoy or whatever the hell he was then. Um, and how she saves the country from communism. This is a musical about communism wow. because they were, there, there was an insurrection and they were trying to take over the country. And we wrote some really funny, funny, funny songs. Uh, and Mary wrote some exquisite melodies for it. Um, and we did not know at the time that the auditions began for the role that Morton DaCosta, who was the director, had in his mind, along with Friar and Carr, decided who was going to play the role of this girl. And so we went on a kind of a hunt for who, who it was pure deception because he had Judy Holiday in mind for this entire thing mm -hmm. from the very beginning. Uh, Judy also was at Nobody knew this either, that she was very sick at the time. You know, it was only about four months after uh, we closed that she passed away. But under any circumstances, we went on this pretense of hiring, of uh, auditioning other people. And Mary and I went downtown and saw in a cabaret a show called An Evening with Harry Stoons. And it had in it a young girl named Barbara Streisand. And Mary and I just went nuts and said, there she is. That's our Delcy Hopwinder. That was the name of the character in, in uh, Hotspot. And we called her her manager. We found out who her manager was, Marty Ehrlichman, who stayed with her for, for forever and may still be her manager. I don't know. Um, and we, we called him and said, we want, we're, we're, we're serious, we're not just a couple of fly-by-night people, and we, you know, we had credentials, uh, we want to have Barbara come in and audition, and Barbara came up to Mary's house, uh, and we taught her three songs and two scenes, and we went on the stage at the Majestic Theater with her as an audition, to do her audition, she came on, and she was breathtakingly funny and unbelievable singer, as you can well imagine, early Barbara. And she finished her audition, and DaCosta said, thank you. And then there was this silence. And she said, Barbara said, am I done? And DaCosta said, yes, thank you. And that was it. And she walked off stage out into the street. And we were just gobsmacked as you can probably imagine yeah and she was really good uh but she was barbara i mean barbara has never been anything but <clears throat> barbara there's been no dramatic change there's been age yes mm -hmm. uh whatever but you know an occasional wrinkle here or there but barbara 
has not changed. Barbara, Barbara now is, in my opinion, as good as Barbara then. And she was waiting on the corner and I, on, uh, outside the, the stage door, and I raced out, and I, I, I said, I apologize for the behavior of my collaborators, but please, please, uh, don't go anywhere. And she was chewing on a peach, and she had a peach pit in her mouth. And she took the peach pit out and she threw it in the waste paper basket, the basket on the side of the street. And she said, no, that's okay. Goodbye, see you. And she and Marty left. That was it. Um, I went back into the theater and at the top of my lungs stood in the middle of the stage and screamed, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. And Acosta just said, well, nobody will believe that anybody could fall in love with that face or kiss her. And whether or not that was accurate, uh, he said that, but the reason he said it was because Judy Holliday was, <clears throat> excuse me, was um, already contracted. And Judy Holliday meant money in the till at the box office. She was a big was star, a big yeah. Name. yeah. Barbara was an absolute nobody, except inside the community. Julie knew about her. We found out subsequently Julie Stein knew about her, and yeah. everybody knew about her, and Julie ultimately, about, a, I don't know, a week later, signed her to do Funny Girl. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, so, that's wild. Yeah. So that's Hot Spot. <laughs> Yeah, that's hot spot. <laughs> but we, but we, uh, but we ended up using a couple of good songs. Yeah, uh, from from hot spot. And there's never been a recording of it. Is that correct? There have been there have been a couple of a couple of songs recorded. Mm -hmm. Margaret Whiting did a wonderful recording of a song called "Hey Love," uh, that is on an album that I did in oh, many 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 years later. Um, recently, Ted Chapin over at R&H uh, found the script and sent it to me, and I've looked at it, and it's very young and very dumb, <laughs> and you know, and it will never be done at Encore. I right. promise you. But there are some good songs, and yeah. they're published. They're published uh, at E.H. Morris. Uh, well, now yeah. it's MPL, um, but they're they're around and they're them. out. You can get them. Great. Great, great, great. Well, some. we encourage all of our listeners to yeah, pick I'll those say. up. Maybe a concert at uh, some point of, of the music only. <laughs> well, they're all, in, in, all of the, uh, in all of the Mary Roger tributes or concert stuff that she's done, there are only two, two or three songs included. Mm -hmm. in, and a lot of cabaret people have picked up one song that we wrote for a drunken member of the Peace Corps. It was introduced by Mary Louise Wilson. Oh. Uh, a song called I Think the World of You, in which we just do spoonerisms. <laughs> and, and so she sings, the whole song is called I Wink the Thurled of You. So it's, <laughs> splitting, it's getting rid of the first consonant. And, of, yeah. and the whole song becomes a muddle of, of word. You're, oh, God, I've forgotten it. Anyway, it's a funny song. Oh, fantastic. I'm going to look that up, yes. too. Go ahead. No, please, I, sorry. I, for the, at the risk of losing like half the audience asking you this, because not a lot of people know about Zenda, the 
No, hardly. It, I I got a telephone call from my publisher, uh, who was who was an investor in in it, uh, and said they need help. Will you get on a plane and go to California and yeah. help? This is this is a musical that was starred Alfred Drake. Alfred Drake, uh, a young Cheetah Rivera was in it. Who we worked with in West Side Story. Right. I have a, an LP of it. it was like Do you really? A, yeah, and it, but it's like a sound. It's a soundboard oh, recording. Right, right. But it was. I mean, it was commercial. I mean, they they released it. It's a the Ed it's, Lester was the producer who did Kismet. Right. And, you know, Song more of operette, Norway. Song of Norway. Right. Yeah. And he was out there in California, and he he's. I have interviews with Ed Lester, um, newspaper interviews mm -hmm. in which he says he was gun shy uh, and he regretted the fact that he never brought Zenda in because it had done wonderfully great business. Yeah. It was a, f a return to, to uh, Broadway for Alfred Drake and it was Cheetah, really her next job, I think. Mm -hmm. Close to it, if not, I mean, Westside was 58, yeah. 57, 58, and this was 63. Three. Mm -hmm. So it was five years. I don't know if she'd done anything between those two. And music by Vernon Duke. Vernon Duke. You know, and that was great. Yeah. I mean, he was a wonderful collaborator. But there were three lyric writers on that show. Oh, wow. There were three people. And what happened was that when we, Vernon and I, began to collaborate, uh, Vernon wrote all the music. There were just three lyric writers. When Vern and I began to collaborate um, and turned in all of these songs, Lester began to throw out all of the other guys' work. And we ended up writing about 11 after the job was only really to rewrite a couple for Alfred. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow, interesting. So there are a lot of Vernon Duke songs huh. out there. And are you, uh, Vernon Duke, uh, Mary Rogers, Richard Rogers, Charles Strauss. Uh, I'm a, is it safe to say that your relationship and the way a, a song is created changes depending on the person that you're working with and the person you're collaborating with? Absolutely. There's that, no question about it. It depends. I mean, for example, and Charles Strauss is, uh, uh, I've only written one, two shows with mm -hmm. Charles, two shows with Dick, uh, two shows with Mary. Mm -hmm. um, I also wrote uh, an amazing score with Harold Arlen um, of a show that never got produced and we wrote 55 songs together uh, what was, was that musical very quickly it was called softly softly yeah it was a wonderful sh my wife sings it a couple of songs from you know, I mean the night in the nightclub Arlen Charnin songs oh, I, wow. I want that well, album well well, that? well well actually Bill Rudman you know who Bill oh, Rudman very well is? he's a good friend well of mine. Bill Bill is trying to get me to put that whole stuff together yeah. we should tell our listeners very quickly that uh Martin's wife is with us and Martin's wife you know her quite well mm -hmm. it's Shelley Birch uh, probably best known to all of our musical theater listeners out there is Claudia in Nine. Nine. Claudia, Claudia in Nine. So every time you listen to Unusual Way, that you're, is the You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> that is the wonderful Shelley Birch. And yeah. she's with us today as um, well. There's a sweet story attached to Arlen. Um, he and I had the same publisher, Buddy Morris, E.H. Morris, great guy. Uh, I'm still with that firm. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> Harold would come up to the office, and I knew him a little bit. And one afternoon, I just wrote on a piece of paper, I could be good for you. Mm 
and I tore it off and slipped it into his pocket. And we started to work because I really meant I could... He, he wasn't writing with anybody uh, at the time. I think he had done, just finished the revival of House of Flowers mm. with Truman. I, th- I, I don't remember this. Anyway... Uh, but we began to write. Hugh Wheeler was the was the book writer on the on the uh, on the show. Saint Suber, the producer. Uh, it was a wonderful show, but we never could solve the book. And every time we would rewrite, every time Hugh would rewrite a scene, Harold would not want to rewrite the song that we had written for the scene. He wanted to write a new song, so we ended up writing all of these songs. Wow, we have two and a half scores. And in a nutshell, what was the plot of Softly? Uh, unfortunately, it was too much like Madame Butterfly. It was a. It took place in Japan right after the war. Uh, the army of occupation. An American colonel falls in love with a Japanese girl, and he's married, and it ends tragically. And anyway, it, it didn't work. Uh, it ended up, as I said, being too close to mm-hmm. to Puccini. And Hugh could never lick it, so we abandoned it. What was it like writing for Danny Kay? Impossible. Mm-hmm. Does it, I, I can sum up the whole Danny Kay experience in two sentences. When asked, what's the best thing that ever happened to you on 2 by 2 And I would say, hiring Danny Kay. And then the next question is, what is the worst thing that ever happened to you hiring on 2 by 2 and the answer is exactly the same. Hiring Danny <laughs> Kay. Uh, he was naughty. I mean, I'm being gentle. We talked to Joan Copeland a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah, well, she, I mean, and she had uh, she was so sweet, but she had some interesting stories. Yes. Well, I mean, he, he on was stage. In, yeah, he was impossible to his fellow actors, yeah. to us. Uh, he was rude and, and un- disrespectful uh, of the material. Um. Even though the, the show is, I still think, wonderful and worthy, really worthy of being, of being reproduced. There's a, an album. The album is the best of Danny on his best behavior on that mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. Uh, more controlled than he was on the stage. And he was, he was mean and vindictive and angry because he didn't get a Tony nomination and God knows what else was going going on with him, but uh, people do sing and occasionally sing a song. I have one wonderful. I wrote a song in that thing for Dick with Dick uh, called "I Do Not Know a Day oh. I Did Not Love You," which yeah. is a really exquisite Rogers melody and a pretty good lyric. It was a oh, very yeah. easy, complicated but easy lyric to write. And um, Tony Bennett made a breathtaking recording of it. And to this day, uh, Tony Bennett says it is his favorite song. Last month on Jonathan Schwartz on the radio show, yeah, yeah, yeah. they had Tony on, and that's what he said again. Really? Yeah. (laughs) That's so great. Yeah. It's so. a beautiful melody and a great lyric. Yeah. This is two by two, by the this way, everyone. We were talking about the uh, the musical. Will there ever be a revival of two by two? Well, we we've we we're trying to get encores to do it. I did a 
I did a, a workshop of it at uh, the York mm -hmm. uh, with Jason Alexander and Tova Felcher, and it was really well received. We did five performances, and I had hoped that it would kick uh, somebody into putting up the, the money for yeah. it, but nothing has happened. It's done uh, in a couple of places all over the country. Mm -hmm. um, there are, it's a very easy show to do, two sets, before the flood and, and then on the ark. That's it. Yeah. And eight people. So it's very inexpensive. Yeah. And a good, you know. And everyone knows the story. Everyone everyone knows the story. Yeah. Uh, what was the collaboration with Richard Rogers like? Uh, totally different than any other collaboration I'd ever had, mainly because Dick was a very, very uh, isolated, private composer. I would write, a, I always wrote something first title or four lines or an entire lyric. I would bring it to him at his Park Avenue apartment. Uh, he would look at it. He'd go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Dorothy, his wife, would appear and say, go have a cup of coffee. And I would. And Dick would say, come back in a half an hour. And I'd come back in a half an hour. And he would say, okay, sit down. And I would sit down, and he, I mean, that's how it worked. And he would play what he'd written. <clears throat> he was very fast. And then the collaboration, collaborative part of it would really go to work. I mean, they wouldn't be finished songs, but he would have certainly laid out what, what was going to happen. And, and uh, we didn't write a lot of, a lot of songs together for that, for that show. Um, and it was, it was uh, I thought, a very healthy collaboration, really healthy. And unfortunately, it was a terrifically funny book by Peter Stone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really funny book. Uh, I, 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 you don't like to assign blame, but it was misdirected. It was over-directed. Uh, Joe Layton had a weird idea of making the first act a set about wood. They were in the in the house was next to all of the trees that had to be cut down to put on the to make the yeah, arc. The arc yeah. And so the first act of two by two is every actor schlepping a piece of wood from one part of the stage to the other. Anyway, very literal. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a uh, it, it's worthy of the score is worthy of of. of Re-examining, there are a lot of good songs in it. We agree wholeheartedly. And if our listeners have not heard it, please, 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 it Get is out there. one of the best musical theater scores you'll ever hear. Yeah. Period. Um, and speaking of great musical theater scores, I think it's time we get. To Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To Andy. Oh, might as well bring it up. After we've talked about Hotspot. You're gonna, <laughs> okay. Is this the first interview where we talk about Hotspot for 10 minutes and Andy for 5 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you about uh, any more to tell you, anybody about Annie, except I mean I I've just gone into rehearsal for the twentieth time. It is probably one of the most optimistic shows in musical theater, and the song tomorrow is probably the most optimistic song of the twentieth century. So I have to ask you: Are you an optimistic? person yourself in your own life no i'm not <laughs> no of course i am of course i am i am but nevertheless i am optimistic and yeah. yes i believe that the sun will come out tomorrow and there is a better day around the corner yeah. and i really firmly believe that every now and again we all need a kind of tap on the shoulder to say i know you're in the pits I know it's awful. I know it's terrible. I agree with you, but wait. Take another step. And it informs a lot of why I write and how I write. So, you, you got the rights to Annie in 1970, is that correct? Yes. And then it took, what, about six years? Seven years. Seven to get years. It to Broadway. To get it to Broadway. But first over at Goodspeed, correct? Right. Goodspeed in 76. How did the show change from the Goodspeed production to the New York production? What, what major changes did you make? Well, there were a couple of really significant changes, two in particular. One was the young lady that we hired to play the part originally was just too, uh, what would the right word be to describe her, innocent, too not, she was not street smart. Uh, she was a lovely singer. I think she's now got a rock band, as a matter of fact. Uh, but nevertheless, she was just too sweet. And Annie is not sweet. Annie is spunky and, 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 and tough and lovable, but tough. Uh, the exact opposite of what Shirley Temple would be yeah. in in in, uh, in the movies, but um, when that change was made, it was made ten days into the show. Uh, everything everything changed, and then finally, from a dramaturgical standpoint, um, the show originally opened with a musical number called Apples that we've that we tossed out which was a sort of a, uh, an, an examination and explanation of the Depression. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the next song that we put there was Hard Knock Life. And when Andrea McArdle took over for the young lady who played uh, the role originally, it became apparent that now that they really liked her and got her, that what our responsibility was was to give her 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 the song about what her mission is what her what she wants we got to learn that early and first so maybe which was the ballad that followed hard knock life in the second scene was switched mm. and it was kind of risky because what happened was it was a lullaby and sung by a little kid <clears throat> sitting in the on the floor 
uh, with another, you know, putting another little girl to, to comforting her, putting her to sleep. Uh, and it and it worked. And the minute that 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 was the first night that we got a standing ovation, it was interesting that the two pieces finally fit together. And those were the base. I mean, you you would do, we would do a lot of fixing. It was long. We had to excise moments. Uh, we were redundant in a couple of places. Songs were maybe switched around. The song that we had originally written for Rooster and Lily and Hannigan wasn't working, and we changed changed that. There were only three songs that we really rewrote from Goodspeed to Broadway, but the script basically uh, changed in those in those directions. The ending was always the ending. New Deal for Christmas was always why what we were aiming to do. Something was missing was in the first act in the very first month of our work at Goodspeed, and then it became apparent that uh, it belonged somewhere mm -hmm. else. So those kinds of changes. But the basic modular pieces of the, of the show were, were always there. It was a question of, of putting them in the, in the right order. What piece of advice would you give directors that are about to direct Annie the Musical? If you could tell them one thing to remember or to guide them in the right direction themselves, what would it be? Basically, to, to honor the, the time and the place and what it's about. It's one of those iconic musicals, thank God, um, that does not need to be monkeyed with. And when you do it, you really change it. All of the attempts that were made on, by either Hollywood or television or whatever that thought they could change it and make it better have failed. And they failed quite publicly. I mean, people look at them and they go, well, that ain't Annie. So the last time that I uh, saw it on Broadway, I did not like it at all. I thought it distorted the, the intention of the piece. And when that happens, the charm goes, the humor goes, the joy goes, the optimism goes. Uh, don't, I don't think you have to look for anything in Annie. It's very much on the surface. You don't have to invest it with a, a, an underpinning mm -hmm. other than what's there. That's why that book is as good as it is. And that's why her spirit is as good as it is. And that's why it, it's been around it's since 1970 yeah. when we wrote it uh, till it was produced and you know, put on at the Kennedy Center. I've I've always heard this story. I don't know if it's true that there was a production where a it was a dream that I Annie was, yeah, dreamed yeah. all of this. Is well, that it, correct? It, it was. It, I was I was made aware <laughs> of that. Uh, it was in at Trinity Rep about <laughs> yep. five years ago, six years ago, and fortunately, Bill Berloni, who is our notorious lovely. Uh, dog handler yes, that's right. who, trained, who has trained every one of our of our Sandys saw was invited to uh, give them the dog, and he brought the dog over and saw the first run through of it, and immediately got on the phone and said to him, "You got to get up here as quickly as you possibly can. What they're doing is impossible. It, it's crazy." And I did. I called the powers to be up there. Um, and we met in Connecticut, and what it was was that some young director had decided 
that Annie would sing maybe and then fall asleep and dream the play and then wake up at the very end. And you kind of go, well, if she's 11, never been out of this orphanage, how on God's green earth does she know anything that the play's about? I mean, it, I can't even like it. It's, it was really, really dumb. So they were able to, in, in, in a part, fix it. But that was, that, that's what made me kind of uh, turn into the keeper of the flame uh, and, and, and sent me, you know, uh, into the, the, the wilds of this country looking for people who were distort, you know, really disturbing and distorting the peace. And when I hear about it, I don't go as far as saying there will be an injunction unless you fix it. But I do make my presence known, mm. and that's why this new production is a correction of what was done on Broadway. This road company, which is in its third year and will begin in Chicago in, I don't know, a month uh, and go out for another year. Uh, we just came back from Singapore and Jakarta. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, and... and uh, you know, it's very important that they maintain... What, you don't have to repaint the Mona Lisa. And God knows I'm not equating Annie to the Mona Lisa, but there are certain things that are iconic. Leave them alone. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be changed. Yeah. If you can do them well, more power to you. Do it well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes me very, very happy. Uh, and I have never had any complaints about... Uh, the when when you do it honestly, but when you monkey around with it, and and think that you're imposing the right kind of fixes on it, that bugs me. Mm -hmm. uh, w one of our favorites is Dorothy Loudon. Ah. Uh, one that we want all of our students to know about. What was it like to work with her in the creation of Miss Hannigan? Well, Dorothy, I knew Dorothy from nightclub acts that I had worked with her on special material. I mean, we we all were, you know, uh, Julius Monk um, um, alumni or people, you know, like that. We were all growing up at the same time. I knew Dorothy quite well. When she came to the show, she had that wonderful uh, mix of being screamingly funny and unbelievably mean at the same time. Uh, and you never knew, the thing that was really exciting about her performance was that you never knew what her take on a moment was going to be. And it was a question of finding out where she could turn on a dime and suddenly react in an absolutely unexpected way. She had the best kind of undisciplined discipline that an actor could have. She was very real, very funny. Dorothy did not like kids. <laughs> and one of the things that we were work, we worked a lot on were, was, was how you, in other words, at the beginning, on the paper, you can play Miss Hannigan as a total drunk, because she, indi we indicate that she has a, you know, a bottle of schnapps in her pocket or whatever or as a totally mean harridan. That's not how she's funny, or why she's funny. She's funny because you don't know what she's gonna do moment to moment to moment. 
and if she stays within the confines of the of the libretto as written, she'll be, she'll end up being a triumph. She'll end up the, whoever plays the part. But we worked a lot on. I mean, Dorothy was of all of the characters in the show from the very beginning. She didn't do good speed. She came to, came to it on Broadway. Uh, we worked a, a very hard on on keeping her, you know, disciplined in the in the in the road to to getting Hannigan to where she ended up being. Do you want to ask about your favorite? So I I love Annie Warbucks. So do I. I, I truly do. So friends, there's there you. I hope a lot of you know this, but there is a sequel to Annie. Now it was first called Annie Two: Miss Hannigan's Revenge, and I right. believe then that sort of has been altered a little bit. Well, for, more for than Warbucks. that. I mean, yeah. Annie Two was a major disaster. I mean, it was just. I didn't a, want to say that. Oh no, no, no! You're allowed yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, in the same way you're allowed to say that. You love Danny. You can also say you loathe uh, Danny Warbucks. But the score, and so well, you re, you retooled it and you yeah. revamped it completely, right. and then that became Annie Warbucks, right. the sequel, uh, which has just a fantastic score. Can you tell us a little bit about what that gestation period has been like? Um, get you know, going from Annie Warbucks to Miss Hannigan's Revenge to Annie Warbucks, and where we are to this day. Right. We when when I wanted to do it, it would have been the first. It had it worked, the first successful Broadway sequel, yeah. or maybe the first Broadway sequel. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, there was a pun attached to the idea. Uh, it was the number two, representing the fact that it was the sequel. Yeah, and there was a song at the end of Act One, where uh, she, Miss Hannigan in her revenge plot, finds another girl who looks like Annie and sings a song that says, you could be Annie too, T-O-O. Yes. That was Good. the gag. Yeah. Okay. You cannot build a show on one joke. <laughs> Fair. Uh, but we, we, made a, uh, we made another kind of mistake. We thought the audience would be more interested in what, in the evil queen... Miss Hannigan, mm -hmm. than they were in the kid, and they weren't. Yeah. They, it, it had landed so we were not aware of the fact, until, really, of its of the power of that little girl, mm -hmm. and and the power of tomorrow, and the power of, of of what we had done, until we saw the abject failure of of Annie too. On the opening night, I was in the Kennedy Center. I was in the fourth row. I think about the middle of the first scene, I got up, ran up the aisle, and tore my hair out and said, it's, it's all wrong. Oh, it's all wrong. You could tell. And yeah, you could tell. Yeah. And we closed it in five weeks. Yeah. Uh, and we kept, you know, we kept fixing it, we kept changing it. Then we went to back to Goodspeed. We did it again at Goodspeed. Helen Gallagher played Miss Hannigan in, in that version. And then <clears throat> we got it going for a, a tour and we then moved it to the Variety Arts Theater. Right. There's mm -hmm. a great recording of it out. Fantastic. A splendid recording of it uh, with wonderful orchestrations by Keith Levinson mm -hmm. and Harf Presnell is on it. Yep, singing. and you get a lot of the dialogue is on and there the, in, yeah, into the right, songs. Right. And the, it's, a, it's, I, it's one of my favorite But it is, it's one of, the, one, of the, it's a, one of my bucket list musicals. 
along with Two by Two. I must get that revived, and we're talking to people about reviving Andy Good. Warbucks. Good. Good. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. It's 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 and a worthy worthy. It's score. available for licensing, is that oh, correct? Oh yeah, MP, uh, MT, uh, Music Theater International. You can get it there. It uh, they do they do performances mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we found, however, is that it can't go into competition with Annie. Mm. You, you can over Annieize, Annieify, or whatever the word would be. Uh, you can't do them both within the same season. No. You know. How interesting. Yeah. Um, did you have something else on your list? Well, I'm so I, sorry. I, yes. You know, I keep running into this musical you wrote that uh, you were nominated for a Tony nomination for for, uh, for the first mm -hmm. 1981, the Jackie Robinson musical, and I. You, as theater history people, I thought I knew most of the shows that, you know, have had accolades, but yet we don't know about. I, I didn't know. David Allen Greer was the star. Yeah. and it I was found this him Jackie... at Yale Drama School. Yeah. It was a mu wonderful musical, uh, sanctioned by, uh, well, Joel Siegel, who was a wonderful critic here in New York, wanted to write about Jackie, came to me because I love baseball, and... Uh, had said he wanted to do this musical, and I joined him. A uh, young man named Bob Brush wrote, this, wrote the music. A wonderful team of cho choreographers and set designers and costumes, everything. Um, we got maybe 20 raves and Frank Rich, who did not like it. And in those days, the New York Times really had a kind of power that it may have today to some extent, but yeah. not the kind that Frank had then. And uh, he didn't like it. Uh, and his not liking it was what wiped it out. Wow. It was on uh, the same year that um, Dream Girls and Nine mm -hmm. were, were on. <laughs> Hello, Jelly. <laughs> uh, and uh, we... I was nominated a, a lot of things. David was nominated for Tony. I was nominated for directing it. It it presents a gigantic problem in terms of it being done. It's because it must have two totally different casts. It has to have a black cast and a white cast in order to have the point of the show made. And that outnumbers the budget every, everywhere, the budget of any uh, opportunity. It's done infrequently in, in a lot of, you know, a lot of places. Colleges can do it when they can field a team of African-American baseball players and white baseball players because that's what the point of it is. It is a, a show that has to show uh, the reluctance that the that the, the National League and all of baseball and fans had to Jackie's being the first to oh. break the color barrier. Yeah. Uh, there's a great one, there was a wonderful scene at the end of the play. It's when the Dodgers win the pennant. And when the, the show, which is a blaze of color and contrast between black and white, when I killed all the lights except one light on the on the backdrop, and all you saw were these guys jumping up and down on one another, and nobody had any color. Mm -hmm. It was a grand moment, and everybody just wept at the point that was yeah. being made. Uh, but we don't get it done because it's too expensive. Wow. 
Interesting. Well, thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. Now, what's up next for you? Well, what's up next is, well, a couple of things. One is Shelley Nightclub her Cabaret Act, which is being done at the Metropolitan Room. Fantastic. Um, she'll, be, she'll be there on December... First and twelfth. Excellent. December first and twelfth. Shelley right. Birch, Metropolitan right. Room, Metropolitan New York City. Room. And then I'm doing um, another musical. Yeah. About Raoul Wallenberg, one of the great unsung. Which you're directing. Yes, I'm yeah. only directing. Yeah. Excellent. I'm only directing it. Only. Uh, I'm directing it. We just did <laughs> a, a four week lab, Good. which received. Splendid, splendid response. Wonderful. Uh, and it's about the man who saved 100,000 Jewish lives in Hungary in the Second World War. Wow. But Ooh, nobody wow. really knows anything about him. Whose name isn't taught in schools? Yeah, no, no, no. It's no, no. Like he, Schindler or something no, like that. Not, you know, no, no, no. Schindler isn't taught in schools, no, certainly. Yeah. No, we only know from the movie. But nobody knows about Raoul Wallenberg. And wow. it, it's, it's something that is necessary, particularly now in this particular moment in time. So maybe, I mean, it's been around for a while. There have been a couple of workshops and a couple of... Uh, versions of it, but I finally got it. A wonderful team of collaborators. Benji Rosenbluth, who wrote the score, and Lawrence uh, uh, Holtzman, and Felicia Needleman, who wrote the book and lyrics. And we've worked on it and worked on it for about three years. And it takes time. I oh, mean, yeah. you know, and this one had to go through a lot of, a lot of uh, trial and error in terms of how to tell this story. But it is—it's uh, a stunning story, and uh, hopefully, maybe if we're lucky, the end of seventeen, but certainly eighteen. Great! Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, we cannot wait to see it. And thank you so much. Thank you both so much. My for pleasure. Your day Truly, with us. our you. pleasure. Thank You're you. So Thanks. Thankful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.